Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Today we're going to talk about something that has been just burning in my uh, spirit the last little bit, and I believe it's it's an increasing um, declaration that's going out across the world right now. I think God is giving us a little hint at the timeline that we are living in. And we are talking today about in the light of eternity. In the light of eternity. And uh, there's a few things that we know for sure that we can say are absolute. You know, wherever you come from in the world, whatever your starting point was, whatever the journey is, whatever difficult experiences you've been through, whatever great experiences you've been through, um, there's a few things that we know for sure is that your life absolutely matters. You have a unique fingerprint, a unique DNA. You are created by God for his purposes, for his glory. Your life matters. We know that your life matters because there is a designer of your life. There is somebody who made you. There is an eternal God who always has been, who always will be. And he designed you for his glory and for his delight. You have a purpose. There's someone who knows you and loves you and has a plan for you. We also know that this life that we live is temporary. That we're passing through. I can guarantee you, very few things are 100% certainty. I can guarantee you with 100% certainty, every single one of us will die. Unless we are raptured and we go with him in glory, 100% of us will die, which means we got to frame life through the right lens. And today we are going to frame it in the light of eternity. And this perspective is a, it's a core belief of Christianity around the world. It's a core belief of, of those who know Jesus. But oftentimes we get caught in the here and now discussions. You know, people will sit and debate little doctrinal differences until they're purple and solve nothing and just make other people offended about Christianity and go, well, if that's it, then I'm not interested. What's the point of that? This is an absolute certainty that we have to look at life through the lens of eternity. And so as we talk about this family day weekend and we're, we're, you know, expressing family, we had Valentine's Day this week, and so we're just talking about love and relationships all over the place. None of your relationships matter like what we're going to talk about today. Truly, none of them matter. This is family business. This is the real thing. But we know that Psalm 68 says that he puts the solitary in families. He puts us, whether we have biological families or we have spiritual families, he puts us in families so that we can discuss family business. And eternity is part of the family business. When we look at families, we look at what, you know, a family unit is. And I mean, if, if, if you're like new to us here or you're watching online for the first time, what you should know about this particular family is that we are a little extreme here. Generally speaking, we're a little more more militant and dynamic than others, but 
it, it matches up with the call, but it, co it connects back to who God says we are. And so even though the expression of this particular branch of the family might be a little more assertive than others, the core belief can be chased back through all of history, back to the cross and the empty tomb. Like the core reality of what we believe is the same. It's, it's, it's truth. And so when we look at, at family dynamics, we look at the lenses by which we see things. We know that families have things like inside jokes that nobody else gets. Families have weird little traditions that they do and things that they have that are their things. Um, families have touchy points and no-go zones, and you find them when you're a visitor at somebody's house and you accidentally say something or step into something you shouldn't, and you instantly feel the room tighten up. You know you've stepped into a family dynamic that is a little odd. Um, we know that there's like shared interests and pursuits. Families will have different things that they invest in versus other families, things that are a priority to them over other families. Families have core values that they, they believe are absolutely important. Everybody in this family does this. Everybody in this family knows this. Everybody in this family believes this. Um, Pastor George and I were talking about even culturally, there's in different parts of the world, depending on where you come up, there are different value systems. Like what is important? What do we want our kids to do? What, do we, what are we expecting for them? What are we hoping for them? That's not the same everywhere in the world. There, there, there's different expressions of what that looks like. And so there's different values. But what all of these things together create is the lens by which we see and experience the world. Whatever your family thing is, it's, it's your family culture. It's the way we see things. It's the way we do things. It creates the lens by which I see the world. And so when we look at Christianity, we have to strip it back from even just denominational lines. We strip it back to the core things that we all should agree upon, the things of the word, the things of what Jesus said and did, the things that are absolute in here. And these need to be our core family values. It has to be the lens through which we see everything. And so we can debate nuances but the core stuff is not up for debate. We were, um, Wayne and I were watching a little reel online. I don't know what church denomination is, probably something fringy. But um, anyway, the minister was, you know, wearing a robe and whatever. And, I, and up on the pulpit saying, you know, we know biologically Mary was not like actually a virgin because that's not physically possible for conception. And so we know it's just figurative, Nope. Foundations of the Christian faith have certain absolutes that we hang on to, and we need to be bold enough to go, I don't really care what your truth is. The truth matters. The truth is what we hang on to. And so central to the truth is that we are living a temporary existence on an eternal timeline. We are living a temporary existence and it goes by fast. We, we, we have these uh, things that we need to understand is that we are loved by God, even if we have not felt well loved by man, that we have purpose, even though we don't really know what it is right now, that God came and, and he paid a price for us because we have been born into a sinful world. We all naturally shift towards sin 
right from childhood and is something that separates us from God, but God took care of that and paid a price so that we could be reconnected with him. That is an absolute, it's not up for debate. The, the things that God calls sin and offensive to him are sin and offensive to him. The end. They, they, they don't change because culture has accepted them. The things that God says are wrong are, are still wrong. The things that God said please him, still please him. The things that are on his heart are still on his heart. It doesn't change because of societal norms. And it doesn't matter how much people, people begin to compare uh, from one place to another, one uh, people group to another. The word of God has been absolute through all of history. This is a core truth for us. We have to understand this and we have to know that this is our family lens. This is what we look through to see him. While we are in this world, we have to know that this lens will affect everything that I do. If I am actually embracing what faith is, if I'm actually embracing who Jesus is, if I'm actually embracing the fact that there is an eternal perspective, that God wants me to see things through the lens, the light of eternity, that God is real, it's not something that I attach myself to on Sundays or 10 minutes in my morning devotions. It literally affects everything that I do. So we've been talking about this a little bit the last couple of weeks, but I want to push into it a little bit further today because I believe that this everything um, is meant to be something that God awakens in this season. It's something that has shifted because North America for sure I, it may be different on different continents, but North America for sure has come through a period of, we're talking decade after decade of de after decade, of being classified as Christian nations, but we've drifted from the core values of the faith, and so it's so muddy, nobody even knows what it is anymore. And so when people say, I'm a Christian, oh yeah, I also have faith, I'm a this, you know, I'm Muslim, I'm New Age, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist, I'm whatever, like, and we, we tend to just lump them all together as in, this is faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Every way is not a way. He is the way. And so for us, we need to live like he's the way. And if he's the way, I am living in him fully and completely with every area of my life. It literally should affect my whole existence. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. He said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. What does that mean? It means that literally my life should be so full of him. I'm so immersed in him that it causes questions on the other side instead of how it is right now in our society where the question is, explain yourself. Why would you even believe that? That's just weird. Your imaginary guy in the sky, like what, why would you even believe that? Why do you need that? Why do you need that crutch? Why do you need something to lean on? The reality is Jesus should be so real in everything I do, people know that he is my everything. And it causes questions, it causes wondering, it causes pursuit, it causes cravings. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, for those who don't know, that, can we just pop the quote up again so you can, he might be new to some people, write the name down, Google it. 
he is one of my heroes of the faith. The more I learn about him, the more I'm like, I want to I wanna be like him. Um, this is a man who was a theologian and a pastor during World War II. He's an interesting guy because he was born into an aristocratic family. His mother was uh, part of a very special family line um, back to the chancellors of Germany. Um, she was one of very few women that was fully educated, like university educated the whole bit. His dad was a neurologist and a psychologist, worked in the medical field. They were very fancy people. And when Dietrich Bonhoeffer felt called to the ministry, his parents weren't even happy because it was like a downer, like he's just going to be a pastor. But this man was called by God and he was passionate about the things of God. And because he kind of grew up, his early, early years were during World War I. He had this challenge on his heart. And as a kid, he started asking questions like, what happens when I die? Is there life after death? Is, is there something that goes beyond? Because this is craziness, what he grew up in. This is craziness. Is there something that goes beyond this? And so he started asking the God questions early. But when uh, the rise of Nazism started, and, and actually prior to that, he started speaking things that I personally believe, that like uh, the, the call of the church is not just to live in the midst of society. We should affect society. That we, the kingdom should affect the culture around us. That we should affect what's going on around us. And he started speaking these things. And when Hitler began to rise in power, he was one of the first to stand up and go, this is not right. This is not of God. And he started speaking in churches and writing and, and saying things like, we, we have to stand. We have to fight back. And we have to, we have to do the right thing. And it ended up along the course of his, his life, his next few years. It's very, very interesting. But he ended up, in order to, um, to not be in the German Nazi army, he got called in by his brother-in-law into the secret service as a spy, and he used the position to find out when they were shipping Jews out to camps, and he would, he would make escape plans for them. And he would connect the dots, so he would connect freedom places, and then he used the position as a double agent with the underground, and he would connect back the, the German resistance, and he was aware of assassination attempts, and, and in support of them, actually, which you might have different thoughts on that, but... Um, and, and into rescuing Jews because what happened was the church became so blinded that they actually created a national religion that, that there was like protests looking to, like we want to get rid of the Old Testament because it's Jewish. Entire church groups would, were voting on this and agreeing on this and, and he was one of a few that stood up and said, in fact, it turns out in our belief that Jesus is the head of the church, not Hitler. And he was arrested for his beliefs. He spent his last two years in prison writing books that we can still get, which are amazing. Um, spent his last two years in prison and was um, killed for his beliefs, killed for being a conspirator against Hitler and against the Nazi regime just days before the end of the war. I know, right? You're all like, oh, where can I get this book? <laughs> Uh, there's a movie coming out this fall, which is very exciting. I hope it's accurate. But he, he literally went to death to fight for what he believed was the word of God, what was true. And um, the, the thing that I think is one of the most interesting and most commend, uh, whatever, positive things about him 
was that the people that were in prison with him said that the two years that he was there, what stood out to them was that he was different than anybody else. And it seemed to them that he knew God was with him and he was peaceful and he prayed for everybody he could pray for and he shared the gospel with anybody who would listen. And the day he went to the gallows to be killed, he went prayerfully and everybody said they noted that he was so peaceful and willingly and somebody said they had never seen somebody so willing to surrender their life to God. And he died like completely in peace. Now that sounds terrible, except I think to myself, is there a better way to be remembered than you literally lived and died completely sold out for Jesus Christ, right? But we have a culture that like wants to, you know, we want to bubble wrap everything. We want everybody to be happy. We want everybody to be comfortable. We want everything to be peaceful and joyful and fun and, and positive. And sometimes what's real is worth standing for. What's real is worth fighting for. And so just to give you a couple of his, his quotes that I think are, you know, we've heard them in different places. We didn't realize it was him. He said his prayer, may God lead us, may God in his mercy lead us through these times, but above all, may he lead us to himself. I love that one. May he lead us through these times, but above all, may he lead us to himself. That's what we need. I mean, we would love our circumstances to change. We would love our economy to change. We would love, you know, world issues to change. But more importantly, as God navigates us through this, may he lead us to himself. How about this one? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost your life. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. How about that? Doesn't that just like... <laughs> Being Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. It's not about what we're against. It's about what we're for. It's not about what we should stop doing. It's about what we should be doing, what we start doing. I believe this is exactly what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. When he walked out and he went through hard times and he's beaten and he's shipwrecked and he goes through all this stuff and he's like, oh, these momentary afflictions. In fact, light and momentary afflictions. I mean, this is, this is maybe a hard sell in our like bubblegum life of, of how we live right now. Like we all want the fun, happy stuff, but... This is a life of passion and purpose. This is a life that is worth living. He said, not to speak is to speak and not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. He wrote a whole book about what he called cheap grace. And the idea that we receive the grace of God in terms of forgiveness, but we don't want to do anything for him after that. We don't want to live in the fullness of it. It's questions like that that I think are worth bringing up and, and discussions that need to be had because we have to understand we live in a society that is different than it's ever been, but society does not change the structure of salvation. 
Community does not change the value of the cross. We have to go back to the roots of what we've been born into, what our family believes, what our father says is the truth, what our brother has paid for on the cross, dying and rising again. We have to go back to the core of our family values. So number one, we need to look at the light of eternity perspective-wise. Perspective is the lens through which we see things, the angle through which we see circumstances. Most of us, if we're in a difficult situation, all we can see is the situation that we're in. And we look at it and just, I wish it would end. I wish it could be solved. I wish it could be fixed. What's my way to resolve uh, uh, the, the conflict? What's my way to deal with the pain? What's my, deal, my way to make it through this situation? If I could just get to the other side of this, if I could just get to the other side of this. We have to look at our life through the lens of eternity. Eternity is forever. This is literally this tiny little window that we are in. And we have the rest of forever to live out life. Now, I know that some people struggle with that reality, period. But we all have a sense on the inside that there's more than what we see right here. Do we not? We all have a sense. The, the, the word tells us that eternity is hidden in our hearts, that all people, there's a place on the inside of us that senses there is something on the other side of this. We, we, we get baited sometimes. There's different belief systems that we get baited into the, here's the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we get, and this is it. So, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. Like, you know, there's that. But we all, honestly, on the inside, we, there's got to be more to this than just this period of time. And if that's the thing, that has to be a lens for us by which we see life. And, you know, we've been talking about this in our house um, lately, Wayne and I, just some of the whys of our own life, because it turns out that when you, when you hit that 50 mark, you start to see that it's possibly leaning towards the other side of the uh, thing, and you're like, whew, are we, are we confident in our decisions? Are we doing what we, we're supposed to be doing with our lives? Are we, you know, all these, these questions. Because uh, we have really personally no desire to be the leather people and living um, for months on end in the sun per year. Like, we, do, we just personally don't. So we would like to be significant. We like our lives to matter. But we, we ask ourselves questions like this. Like, why do we live where we do? Because every time there's some new law or announcement or whatever, we're like, we should move to Texas. <laughs> Why don't we live in Texas? I don't know. We could, should definitely live in Texas. And uh, <laughs> all joking aside, literally, if we felt like where we lived was up to us, we would pack up and move to Texas. <laughs> For real. <Maybe> <laughs> But we believe, thank you, <laughs> we believe that God, according to his word, tell, he, he has assigned our times and the boundaries of our dwelling places. What that means to us is through the lens of eternity, God has picked where and when we live. And so we are here because he told us to be here. And because of the lens of eternity, what God wants for our lives and where he wants us to be is far more important than whether I can pack a pistol in my purse or not. It's, um, it turns out that his, 
His opinion is better than my opinion. His plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. But our reason that we don't just go wherever is because of the light of eternity. That is our perspective. Why do we spend the money that we spend where we spend? Where do we set the boundaries and the parameters of our life? Why don't we just do what we want to do? Like for us, we, are, we always pause and ask God, like, should we go here? Should we go there? Is this something that you have for us? We're very cautious with where we spend our money to, to the best of our ability. As far as we don't want to, you know, we don't want to just waste it. Like, why don't we go gambling? Some people just see that as entertainment. Well, it's sowing into a system that destroys lives. So for us, that's not somewhere we're going to put our money. You know, it's just something we're not sowing into. Um, really, is it a big sin? Probably not. You know, it's not going to keep you out of heaven, but it's not going to do you any good, right? So little things like that, why don't we? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we invest the way do we do? Why do we spend our time the way we do? Why do we feel like it's important to be at pursuit? Why do we feel like it's important to come to engage? Why do we feel like it's important to, to you know, make sure that our kids and our grandkids are, are trained up in the things of God? Because of the lens of eternity. It's the bigger perspective. We teach the values that are eternal. And sometimes even as parents right now, I think in our society, and we're faced with all these things that we've never been faced with before. Like literally prior to the last 15 years, you never had to have the discussion with your children about what pronoun they might want or whether they were male or female. We just didn't have these discussions. Now the discussions are on the table, right? Now it's, it's, we're being confronted with these things. What's allowable, what's not allowable, what's wrong, what's right, all of these sorts of things are on the table. And, and we do need to teach our children the truth, but the lens for the truth is not how do you feel and what can I do to say to make you feel comfortable and happy my lens for how I teach it needs to be, what does God say? Because he's eternal and this situation is temporary. We don't know what the world's gonna look like 10 years from now. We don't know what people are gonna believe 10 years from now. We don't know how things are gonna switch. The, the balances of justice go back and forth, all of this stuff, but he doesn't change. And so through the lens of eternity, what do I want my kid to know? What, what do I need them to know? I need them to know who they are. I need them to know that eternity is real and that our feelings and our society doesn't change it. Now that sounds basic, but when you are a parent, you're a friend, you're a sister, brother, whatever, and you're walking through the stuff of life and there's, there's belief systems that are contrary to the word that are accepted as truth around us. And it's so, we so want to love and be loved by the people around us. But like Wayne and I were talking, we we're like, man, even our, our grandbabies, like if we, could, if we had to pick one thing that we could teach them, one thing that they remembered about us, one thing, that they would know about us. I mean, we would probably try and craft a really careful sentence and say something like, we want them to know that they're beautiful and perfect, that they have a purpose, that they're loved, 
and that Jima and Paul love them more than anything else. We probably want to craft a sentence something like that. But if I only got to tell them one thing, that's not the thing. It matters that they know Jesus knows you, loves you. Whatever you're going to face in the next 20, 30, 50, 70 years is temporary, but he's eternal. And whatever you do, never, ever give him up. That's what we would want them to know. If we had to pick, it's not that they know they're loved by us, it's that they know they're loved by Jesus. We have to come back to the core of the truth. At the end of the day, we have our preferences in relational settings, in governmental settings, in social settings. We have our preferences, but at the end of the day, we have to look through the perspective of eternity. James 4, 13 and 14 says, Come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy, sell, make a profit, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Make our plans, but we don't hang our life on it because it's passing. It's short. It's shorter than you think it is. You know, when you look back and it's like, oh, it's been six years since that. I thought it was two. How did that happen? It's just a vapor. It's a passing thing, which is sad unless you look at it through the lens of eternity, the perspective of eternity. So instead, Colossians 3, 2 to 4 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This doesn't mean that this life is meaningless. Sometimes when we read that, it's like life is just a vapor. What's the point anyway? No, the point is life is just a vapor. So what we do and what we decide has more significance than we even thought. It's, it's a, because every decision has an eternal consequence. Our relationships have eternal consequence. What we do, where we go, how we behave, what, what, we, what we go after, what we desire, how we impact the world around us, it has eternal consequence. So even though we feel like it's just about today and how I feel today and what I want today, it's not. The bait of the enemy is to get us to look at the temporary so we mess up the eternal. This is the draw of this age. It's, you, only got, you only live once. Yeah, forever. Like my once is not limited to this moment in my, in my life. Like it, it literally goes on forever. What I do, what I decide actually matters. So much of what our society is dealing with and our generations are dealing with is this, this idea that what is the point? You know, that the breakdown of, of hope in our young people is based on what is the point? Everything's screwed up anyway. You know, the idea that like the, the world is literally physically falling apart, the environment's falling apart, the economy's falling apart, I'm never gonna own a house. Guess what? Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my place, there's many mansions. No, you don't gotta worry about housing. This is temporary. There is an eternal picture that is worth hanging on to. Well, the, earth, the world's falling apart. No kidding. 
God put a timeline on it. There literally is a time when the earth is gone. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth that this is meant to wear out. That's the natural thing that Jesus said. So why are we freaking out about it? our focus? It's not meant to be like, I'm not saying don't recycle. Please recycle. But <laughs> I'm saying don't get depressed about what's the point. It's all falling apart. This is just a small piece of God's creation. And we will get to spend eternity searching out the fullness of it. It is so good what is before us, should we choose well. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, to each one, uh, that each one might receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let's just leave that on the screen. That is a nauseating verse if you're not living for Jesus. And lack of belief in Jesus does not make that null and void. It doesn't change. That's the truth. We all, at some point, we all, not just people at church on Sundays, all the people, 68,000 in Grand Prairie, 250,000 in our surrounding area, will all, 100%, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I just want them to like me. I just, I, you know, I don't want to offend anybody by talking about Jesus and stuff. I just think, you know, they're pretty good people. So have you introduced them? Have you given the option? Are you living in a way that he is appealing? Because sometimes far more than what we say is how we live, how we express, how, you know, is it actually, are we living our beliefs in such a way that those who don't know him yet question their unbelief? That, that quote is like, it takes us back to this. Every single one of us will stand before God. That's not meant to be scary, but it is meant to be sobering, and it does create a lens through which to make the decisions that we make, right? So then we look at the light of eternity through purpose. And purpose is a massive deal, because if that's the lens, then what is the purpose of my life? If that's the lens, if Jesus is eternal, if the Bible is true, if I'm going to stand before God, if this is just a passing vapor of existence, if this is a thing, then what is the purpose? Because why can't I just hurry up and get there? We are not also having a Jonestown moment this morning. We're, we're not promoting getting out of life early. If you are here and you've got breath, you have purpose. The purpose is connected to eternity. And until we connect it to eternity, it's fleeting and it's fickle and it's frustrating. But when we connect it to eternity and we look at it through the light of eternity, then my purpose comes alive. What I do and how I function makes sense. Erwin McManus puts it this way. He says, the push of design and the pull of calling equals purpose. The push of design and the pull of calling equals purpose. What, 
what is the design? What is on the inside of you? What did God put there? And when we look at that, it creates this, uh, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be something I'm made for. There's gotta be something, there, there's gotta be more to my life than just existence. I cannot just live 40, 50, 60 years just to survive. I can't do that. There's more on the inside of me. That's the push. That's the eternity that's hidden in your heart. That's the thing that like, I just, I just know it. But the pull of calling is the, and I'm drawn towards this. And I'm interested in that. And I'm passionate about this. And I feel strongly about that. That's the pull of calling. That pull, when it matches up with your purpose suddenly, or with your, uh, your design, suddenly you now know what your life is about. Literally, God has placed in you the tools, the, the design to function for his glory. That is what makes sense only through the lens of eternity, only through him. Now, I want to give you just a, a passage here. Hebrews 11, 22, or 23 to 27 is this interesting spot because it's talking about the life of Moses. And everything else in, in Hebrews 11, it's talking, it's the faith chapter, call it the hall of faith. It's by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. We talked about Abraham and Sarah last week. But by faith, now we're going to look at Moses because we all know the story of Moses. Moses is the one who led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, right to the edge of the promised land. He didn't get to cross over, bummer, but he had a, he had a lifelong calling. What I think is one of the most exciting things about him is that he was described as the friend of God. He talked with God. He met with God. He had this relationship with God. But let's start at the beginning of verse 23. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Let's stop there. A lot of us, we read... We read the story of Moses and we're like, wow, he was brave. Like he, he talked to God in the burning bush. He got the assignment from God. He went back. He stood before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, I'm, you know, going to kill him. And, and, and Moses has this crazy hard thing, but it's this incredible existence and relationship with God. But by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. What was the king's command? Was that every baby boy that was born was supposed to be killed on the birthing stool because the king was overwhelmed. Pharaoh was overwhelmed by the mass of growth of the Jewish people. We see this spirit on repeat through the history of the word and through the history of the world, where we see there is this hatred. It's, a, it's not a man. It's a spirit that is behind man. And it goes back to Genesis and the prophecy about Jesus, but it goes back to this thing of destruction of children because the enemy is trying to thwart the destiny of God's people. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. In other words, they saw the hand of God upon his life and they were not afraid of the king's command. Parents, let me tell you, it is not the government's job to educate your children about who they are. Sometimes, sometimes you have to decide to defend your child's destiny and not be afraid of the king's command. Come on. 
It is our job as parents to look at these children that God has given us and say, this is a gift from God. I see your purpose. I see your destiny. I will walk you into who God has made you to be. I will make sure that at your end of your days, you know Jesus knows you and you are walking with him. Come on now. So we see this long, old-term thing. We see it in Jesus' life as well. The, the, the dream that came to Joseph and they got Jesus out of Dodge before, uh, uh, Bethlehem, uh, before, before Herod was killing the babies. It happened over and over and over again. It's happening now. It's happening in abortion clinics. It's happening in medical f- facilities. It's happened. It happened, you know, when we talk about the 60s scoop and the residential schools, it's happened But it's up to us to go, every person that has breath, has the fingerprint of God, they have purpose. He loves them, he wants to know them, and it's our job to help them come into that relationship. And so it goes on and it says that they were not afraid of the king's command, and by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, oh my goodness, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Ah, choosing. He chose because his parents chose first. He chose because his parents chose first. His parents decided to revere the purposes of God more than the plans of man. And when Moses came of full age, he decided to do the same. And he decided to choose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I am telling you, whatever we are headed into globally, we are at the end of the end. And it is time for God's people to say, I would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. We have to have a resolve on the inside that is, I will stand for Jesus no matter what. He is everything to me. And so he chooses this, esteeming, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. (sighs) The reproach of Christ is more valuable than all the treasures of Egypt. Come on. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. How did he endure seeing him who is invisible? His eyes were on eternity. His eyes were on Jesus. His eyes were on the prize. And he endured the loss and the pain and the suffering of this world because his eyes were on Jesus. We want to find a way to live our faith and live in the luxury of the land, but they do not go together. We cannot lay down the love of Jesus, the, the cross that was, that was uh, uh, paid for us, the price that was paid for us. We cannot lay that down to go after this world and expect that we're going to have the reward in eternity that we're anticipating. He chose. I think the phrasing is very interesting. It says that he was not afraid. He did not fear the wrath of the king. His parents were not afraid of the king's command. 
Matt, fear and faith don't go together. They are on opposite ends of the spectrum and we got to pick which one we're choosing to live in. We are on this scale and we will either choose fear or we will choose faith, but we got to decide if we're going to look through the lens of eternity that we will do what he tells us to do, when he tells us to do it, how he tells us to do it, and we will not worry about what we're dealing in this temporary life. It's passing. And no matter how much we would try and extend it, sustain it, delay it, it's passing. But eternity is forever. There was a Harris poll done, and I I mentioned this at the Women's Day last week, a survey done recently, 2021, of 18 to 34-year-olds. And 63% said they struggled to know what their purpose is. One-third of 18 to 34-year-olds in this age group said that they had contemplated suicide in the past year. When we don't know why we are, we don't want to be here. We've created a generation that is so accepting of all the things with no absolutes. And we ask, what do you want to do instead of what were you created to do? What do you want to be instead of who were you created to be? What do you want to believe instead of this is the belief? This is the truth. And we've created a generation of young people in their prime. You might not feel like you're in your prime at 18 to 34, but let me tell you, stuff happens later than that. (laughs) We've created a generation where young people in their prime would rather be dead than live a purposeless existence. This world is begging for the sons and daughters of God to stand up and speak the truth, to speak life, to have a backbone and tell the truth that we will all one day stand before God and give an account. There is a judgment seat. There is a heaven. And yes, there is a hell. It's not a figure of speech. We have to raise a generation that understands that your life matters. Every day that you've been given is a gift for a purpose. It is for God's glory. Live it big. Live it well live it for him that's what we are living in that's what the church is called to the earth is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed second corinthians 4 7 to 10 says but we have this treasure God in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us we are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Oh, come on. Some of us are walking around and we're like, I'm crushed. I'm crushed. I'm pressed. I'm persecuted. I just, if you knew, I mean, no, I, I, I understand I'm not living very joyfully. I don't, I mean, having a hard time in the word. I'm having a hard time praying because I'm, I'm just feeling very pressed and I'm just. Pressed. 
always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Man, I might be pressed. It might be hard. I might be, there might be issues and struggles and, and things that I would like to be remedied, but I am living the life of Jesus on the inside. And I want to be, I want to be like Bonhoeffer. If I am going to the gallows, I'm going with a smile because it's the beginning of my life. It's the beginning of where I really get to start. I'm not held down by the shackles of this body that's just constantly decaying anyway, but I get to go and live the eternal picture with the one who gave it all for me. He is my reward. This is the place that God's calling us to. So number three, finally, the light of eternity, we want to look through the person of Jesus. And what this means, I'm caring about the life of Christ in me. It means that it's not about a belief system that I'm passionately committed to. It's Jesus who I'm in deep relationship with. Who I would give everything for. Revelation 21, 22, and 23. But I saw no temple for it. This is talking about heaven. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for, of the sun and the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. When we talk about the light of eternity, in the light of eternity, we understand that to be the lens of eternity, the perspective of eternity, the purpose of eternity, but literally the light of eternity is a being. He is God. And when I live in that place, in relationship with him, it changes how I see everything else. I am literally living in the light of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said we should have heaven constantly on our mind so as to have an impact on this world. C.T. Studd, who was a missionary to China, and he wrote a, a poem that many of us have heard. I used to find it fairly irritating, actually. But the core line of it is only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's <laughs> save that up there for a minute. I used to find it irritating because I felt like, okay, so what are we defining as what's done for Christ and what's like, like I'm getting groceries and I'm mowing the lawn and you know, then I'm leading worship and I'm leading a Bible study, but then I'm like wiping kids' butts and I'm like... Let's define what is done for Christ. Everything. It's not about an activity. It's about a heart motivation. I live my life in the light of Christ, in the light of eternity. He literally is the one who lights up the eternal atmosphere. He is the one who is the light. When I live for him, then everything that I do that's done with him, for him, in him, for his glory, is holy. It's suddenly set apart and it's suddenly different. When it's done for Jesus, with Jesus, it changes everything. John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It means when I'm following him, I'm following him in my parenting. I'm following him in my career. 
I'm following him in my spending. I'm following him in my conversations. I'm following him in how I spend the resources of my life. I don't walk in darkness. I have the light of life, which is him. And it changes everything that I do. So I want to finish this morning with a, a song, and we're just going to let it soak, and then we'll have the worship team come. But this, um, this song really spoke to me. It's called, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus, with Stephanie Gretzinger, and a lot of you might be familiar with it. Um, if, you, if you don't know them, Stephanie Gretzinger is, like, she's probably one of the most sold-out worshipers ever, as far as, like, all Jesus all the time. She's got little kids at home now, and she said, um, in an interview I saw her in, she said, before she got married, she was like weeping before the Lord. And she's like, God, I don't know if I want to get married because what if it takes away my time from you? And what if we have kids and it takes away my time from you? And so she talks about, you know, she'll spend the day with her husband and her kids and she does it, you know, to honor God and she loves them as well as she can. But she'll like get up at two o'clock in the morning and spend from two to four in worship because she's like, that's where I buy oil. In other words, that's where her heart is prepared for the Lord and meets with him. And so she was raised by um, pastor parents. Her dad and mom pastored a church that really experienced a, a mighty move of God. Her dad has passed away. But in this song, as she's singing it, her mom's the one that's playing the piano. And uh, I think how incredible it is to see generational legacy that really only comes when we live for the right reason and we live through the right lens. And I understand that a lot of us are in difficult circumstances and maybe our family picture doesn't look like we want it to look right now. This is not about condemnation. It's just to remind you that your life matters, that he sees you, he's walking with you. And if you're feeling overwhelmed by where do we even begin to fix this, to engage this, you know, maybe your kid's off the rails on drugs or, you know, in different situations that you would love to solve. Yes, you want them to know that you love them and that they can always come home. But more than that, you want them to know Jesus. And in as many ways as you can, make sure that it is modeled in your life so that when they're ready to answer the call, they know where to run. Let's spend a few minutes just soaking in this.
treasure was in heaven And Jesus was everything to me No one ever cared for me like Jesus His faithful hand has held me all this way I'm old and gray, and all my days are numbered on the earth. Let it be known in you alone. My joy was found. Cause I'm still. you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together this morning. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This morning, just as we, we close, we're going we're gonna to give the Lord some time to just move and give you some time to respond, and certainly you're free to go if you'd like. But if you need to give your life to Jesus, today is the day. 
today is the day. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you just as we go into a song, I'm going to invite you to come to the front, just over to this side to my right. And Pastor George and Pastor Brad and Pastor Linda will meet you there. If there's enough, if there's, if there's more of you, we'll make sure that everybody gets prayed with. But we want to introduce you to Jesus. And I'm going to have the prayer team come. We're going to sing over you, so we'll just work that balance. But if you would like somebody to pray with you for whatever other reason you feel like you need to have a point of connection, the prayer team would love to pray with you. But if you just need to spend some time with God today, do that too. Some of us need to shake off the clutter and the noise of this age. And we just need to lean into the eternal reality and the one who is worthy of it all. And we need to give him what he deserves, which is everything. We need to choose him. We need to decide that we'd rather suffer with the people of God than live in comfort with the lies of this age. If that's what it takes, and anything in between. I would never do an altar call that would say who, who feels called to be a martyr for Jesus. But essentially what we're saying is to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It really is a decision that, God, I, I believe you are real. And my whole life, as long as you give me in this temporary reality, it's for you. And I'm going to stop asking myself what I want and how do I feel about it? And what do I think about it? And I'm going to start asking you, what do you want? What's your plan? What's your desire for this life? I'm going to live it laid down for you. I'm going to pour it out like oil on your feet in worship. Whatever that looks like. I might work at a bank. I might work at a car dealership. I might work at a restaurant. I might work in full-time ministry. But whatever it is, I'm going to live my life poured out in worship to you. And I am determining that you are everything. And I am claiming by faith that my children and my children's children and my children's children's children will know God and will live in the light of his countenance, will live in the light of eternity. We are a people set apart. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, today we stand before you and we thank you for reminding us once again and just clearing through all the stuff, reminding us of eternity and the King of glory the great I am, the one who was and is and is to come. We thank you for the eternal picture and the light through which we can live, the lens through which we can see, the purpose which you've given us.
God, today we respond to you with our whole hearts. With our whole hearts, God, we don't wanna hold back. We don't wanna be in 80%. We wanna live for you fully and completely, whatever it takes, God. And I thank you that in there is such peace. In that decision is such joy. In that decision is such life and life abundantly. I thank you that abundant life isn't about comforts. Abundant life is about living in the fullness of your presence. And God, that's what we want today. I pray for every person, every couple, every family represented here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us and move upon our hearts and minds. Help us choose well. Help us to navigate through the lens of eternity. And Lord, we thank you for your miracle working power manifested in our lives, God, that we would walk about carrying the life of Christ in us. We give you our attention. We give you our worship and we give you our lives today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.